You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Greetings, fellow believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I want to talk about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, what I like to call the Judge Advent. But before I do that, I want to review a few points about the first Advent. So from the first salvation promise given to Adam and Eve at Genesis 3.15, the fact of the coming of the Messiah to administer divine justice in the universe has ever been the expectation of his people. All throughout the Old Testament, the prophecies about his, his coming have been divided into basically two points of focus. The first point of focus has been on redemption from sin. I call this the Redeemer Advent. It's seen clearly at Isaiah 52, 13 through chapter 53, verse 12. At verse 11, Isaiah wrote, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, for he will bear their iniquities. The second point of focus has been on his judge advent, at which time he, he'll begin the process described at Isaiah 40.10. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his compensation is with him and his reward before him. This distinction between two separate comings of the Lord, of the Messiah, uh, was clearly presented by Jesus himself all throughout his teaching. Probably a, a, a well-known passage uh, is Luke 4, 17 through 21. This records something that uh, occurred at the start of his ministry uh, in the synagogue at Nazareth. Uh, Jesus read from uh, the scroll of Isaiah, chapter 61, 1 and 2. Now, this passage in Isaiah shows both advents, but separated by the distinct focus of each one. Isaiah 61, 1 uh, through 2, first part of verse 2, predicts the Redeemer Advent. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives, and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. At verse uh, 2, the second half of the verse, and, and verse 3, this part predicts the judge advent and the blessings of the earthly kingdom that uh, will follow that. It reads, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the cloak of praise instead of disheartened spirit. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. 
When Jesus read this passage, he stopped after the first part of verse 2, which reads, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closed the book and proclaimed, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He always spoke of his presence as the fulfillment of the Redeemer Advent. He said, for I did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world at John 12, 47. As he began his ministry in Galilee, he fulfilled another Redeemer Advent prophecy. As Matthew tells us at chapter 4, 14 through 16, uh, it fulfilled Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. And once again, the passage in Isaiah shows both Advents. Verses 1 and 2 shows the Redeemer Advent. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he will make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And verses three through five show the judge advent you will multiply the nation you will increase their joy they will rejoice in your presence as with the joy of harvest as people rejoice when they divide the spoils for you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of midian for every boot of the marching warrior in the roar of battle and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire and at matthew uh, chapter 4 it reads this happened so that what was spoken through isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled the land of zebulun and the land of naphtali by the way of the sea on the other side of the jordan galilee of the gentiles the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death upon them a light dawned and the reference to Isaiah 9 stops right there. It does not include the statement about the judge advent. Uh, Jesus did talk about the judge advent, but it was always seen as something that was far into the future. For example, at Matthew 16, 27, for the son of man is going to come in the glory of his father with his angels and will then repay every person according to his deeds. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophecies about the judge advent were frequently associated with uh, various signs, cosmic signs and and signs on the earth, such as uh, Joel wrote about at chapter 2, 20 through 31, uh, as 30 through 31. And I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And at Isaiah 13, 9 through 11, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark in its going, and the moon will not shed its light. So I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their wrongdoing. I will also put an end to the audacity of the proud and humiliate the arrogance of the tyrants. Jesus echoed these uh, various prophecies as recorded at Luke 21, 
25 and 26. There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting from fear and the expectation of the things that are coming upon the world. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. It is, according to his teaching, that after these signs, Jesus will arrive in the clouds of the sky and every eye will see him. Luke 21, 27. When they, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. This is what Jesus taught earlier, as recorded in Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his holy angels and will then repay every person according to his deeds. Now, let's look at several things that will occur in connection with Christ's second coming, the Judge Advent. Those who hold to a pre-trib view of the rapture make a distinction between the rapture itself and a subsequent event, which they label as the second coming. One major support for this view is the claim that these two events are characterized by different things. However, when all the relevant passages are considered together, it's clear to me that there's actually only one second coming of Jesus, and it is at that time that the rapture of his elect ones will occur. Uh, furthermore, the claim that there are different factors associated with each separate event can be refuted by the fact that both events are described with the same factors involved. Uh, this will seem uh, as I look at some of the following descriptions. Uh, I uh, will show that both events, the inception of the second coming of Jesus and the rapture, will occur at exactly the same point of time in the prophetic scenario found in the scriptures. The primary issue here is the claim that Matthew 24, 29 through 31 and context refers to their second advent event only and that the rapture event is something different that will occur before the arrival of Jesus that is described at Matthew 24:30 the first factor i want to look at has to do with timing jesus taught that his coming will occur after the tribulation of those days matthew 24:29 he taught that the tribulation would be cut short from its expected duration at uh, Matthew 24, 22. The expected duration of the tribulation is the reign of the beast, which will be 42 months or 1260 days using that uh, 30 day uh, measurement for, for a month. Uh, so in view of that, he also taught that it would be at an unknown day and hour that no one knows except the father. And then he illustrated this by using the image of a thief in the night. Uh, Matthew 24, 43 and 44. So accordingly, the apostles taught the same thing concerning his second coming and the rapture of the church, which will occur at that very coming. Second Thessalonians chapter one, six through 10 after the tribulation. It reads, for after all, it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. 
at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These people will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified by his holy ones on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. So this passage teaches at an unknown day and hour, just like a thief, uh, which is found at 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3 and 2 Peter 3, 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Where did uh, Paul and Peter learn this uh, concept? Came from the teaching of Jesus and the illustration he used about the thief coming at an unknown time in the middle of the night. The second factor I want to look at is that it will be universally visible. Matthew 24, 27 says, For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Uh, Jesus said, Then they will see the Son of Man coming. Revelation 1, 7 says that every eye will see him. Well, what did the apostles teach? At 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven, using the uh, Greek word apocalypsis. 1 Corinthians 1, 7, uh, the believers are awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus. Titus 2, 13, the appearing of the glory of the great God and our Savior, Christ Jesus. And at Acts 1, 11, this Jesus will come in just the way as you have watched him go up into the sky. 1 John 2, 28, when he appears at his coming. By the way, the word group of Revelation indicates that it will be a visible arrival. The word group apocalypto is the verb, apocalypsis, the noun. A whole handful of passages here. 1 Peter 4, 13, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, Luke 17, 30, 1 Corinthians 1, 7, Colossians 3, 4, 1 Peter 1, 7, and 13. This comparison shows that uh, according to the apostles, the uh, second coming of Jesus would be universally visible, just as Jesus taught. The third factor Christ's arrival will be on the clouds. Matthew 24, 31, or as Luke 21, 27 says, in or on a cloud. Acts 1, 9 through 11, uh, the angels tell the disciples after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were watching and a cloud took him up out of their sight. And the angels promised this Jesus will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into the sky. So he's going to arrive in the clouds, but be seen as though riding on one cloud. That's exactly what Jesus taught. So at the rapture, believers shall be caught up together with them in the clouds for a meeting with the Lord in the air. There's nothing inconsistent here. Both events described in the same way. The fourth factor, he will come with power. The word group dunamis is used to indicate the supernatural and miraculous arrival of Jesus as he will be seen worldwide by every eye. Uh, of course, that, that is awake and able to see. 
this word is used many times for the miracles that Jesus did during his ministry. Mark gives it a boost with the phrase great power. Incidentally, uh, Matthew and Luke use the word great with the word glory. So you have great glory and you have great power. During uh, Christ's ministry, he showed Peter, James, and John a vision of his coming. And when, later, uh, when, when Peter later wrote about this, he stated that they were eyewitnesses to the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 1.16. Then he made it clear that he was talking about the coming of the Lord that believers should be waiting for, uh, chapter 3, verse 14. So this manifestation of power gives a forecast of the judgment that will come shortly upon the world. Those who witness this coming in great power will react with fear and trembling uh, since they they know that judgment is near. This is portrayed symbolically at Revelation 6, 12 through 17, where all the people symbolically proclaim to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the sight of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? This judgment aspect of his arrival is stated at 2 Thessalonians 1a, Jude 14, Matthew 16, 27, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3. The fifth factor associated with the second coming of Jesus is that it will be with glory. Not only will it be visible, but it will be spectacular so that there can be absolutely no mistake that this this is indeed the return of Jesus. Matthew 16, 27, the glory of the Father says he will come in the glory of his father matthew 24 30 great glory matthew 25 31 he comes in his glory uh, both glory factors are mentioned in the second coming promise given by paul at titus 2 13 the appearing of the glory of the great god and our savior jesus christ there's no difference between these two events at luke 9 26 the wording is his glory and of the Father, and of the angels. At 2 Thessalonians 1.10, he will be glorified by his holy ones, that is, by angels. And at Colossians 3.4, uh, the believer's participation uh, in this glory is mentioned. Uh, the believer will appear with him in glory. Again, uh, there are passages referring to the second coming and the rapture as both involved with great glory the sixth factor associated with the second coming is the presence of angels matthew 16 27 son of man is going to come in the glory of his father with his angels 25 31 of matthew and all the angels with him notice all the angels with him we learn at first thessalonians 3 13 that it will be with all his holy ones not saints holy ones that refers to angels he he does not come with all his saints he comes with all his holy ones all his angels at the rapture passage of first thessalonians 4 16 it it mentions at least one angel the voice of the archangel at second thessalonians 1 7 which is clearly a rapture passage written to and for believers 
Paul wrote that at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven, it will be with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And then he distinguishes the angels from believers at verse 10 when he wrote, when he comes to be glorified by his holy ones on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, contrasting the holy ones, the angels, with believers. And then we have Jude 14. He wrote of a prophecy by, by Enoch uh, concerning the, the judge advent. Behold, the Lord has come with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Uh, when Jesus arrives in the clouds of the sky, the first thing that he's going to do is stated at Matthew 24, 31, he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Perfect consistency between the so-called two events. A seventh factor associated with the second coming will be the sounding of a great trumpet. Matthew 24, 31, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, and 1 Corinthians 15, 52. There is a little bit of a, a disagreement about exactly what is involved with this great trumpet. All, all I can do is suggest some things. Uh, the sounding of the great trumpet is seen in association with the second coming, but it does not announce his arrival. We will see that the sounding of the trumpet actually announces the gathering of the elect. To be specific, the cosmic and earthly signs will occur first. The sign of the Son of Man will flash across the sky. Then Jesus will appear coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, along with all his angels. And it is then, after his presence is seen all around the world, that the trumpet will sound and all the elect ones will be gathered together. This is the rapture of the church. Uh, Matthew 24, 40 and 41, Jesus described this gathering as one will be taken to the side or received and one will be left. Since it is the elect ones who are gathered and received to the side of Jesus, it is clearly the unbelievers who are left behind. Jesus described this a few days later at John 14. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you will be also. Paul describes this arrival and gathering of the elect at 1 Thessalonians 4. For if, for, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, so also God will bring with him those who have died fallen asleep through jesus for we say this to you by the word of the lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of god the dead in christ will rise first then we who are alive who remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and so we will always be with the lord this passage appears to say that the trumpet will sound when the Lord will descend from heaven. 
However, it does not clearly say that. It implies it. Um, it simply indicates that when, that is, at the time of Christ's arrival from heaven, there will be a shout, there will be the voice of the archangel, and there will be the trumpet of God. Jesus indicated that the trumpet will sound in direct association with the resurrection and the gathering of the elect, the rapture. And here, at First Thessalonians, Paul shows that the sounding of the trumpet is also in direct association with the raising of the dead in Christ, the elect ones. At 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, Paul describes the change that will occur at that gathering. Behold, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep, that is die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Paul indicates that the sounding of the trumpet is in direct association with the gathering, with the raising, with the changing, with the rapture event of First Thessalonians 4 and Matthew 24. It appears to be a pretty safe conclusion then that the trumpet blast does not occur as an announcement of the Lord's arrival, but rather a direct call of assembly the raising and gathering of Christ's elect ones. Now, what about the last trumpet at 1 Corinthians 15, 52? Now, here we have a term that has given rise to much misunderstanding and, of course, speculation. The last trumpet. And in the ancient Roman games, uh, the blowing of the trumpet announced the various stages of the proceedings. The last one, of course, would be the final notification for whatever event or action was being announced. This is Paul's frame of reference. Elsewhere, he has taken images from the Roman games to teach spiritual truths. Uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 2 Timothy 2, 5. Paul's use of last trumpet, I suggest, is symbolic and refers to the call to assembly in the context of the Roman games or even in a military context. In both of these cases, there was a preliminary trumpet, sometimes two, and then the last one, which was a call to assembly. This symbolic trumpet is the call to assembly for the gathering of the saints, the gathering of the elect, the rapture of the saints of all previous ages. This will occur at that last trumpet blast, and it will occur instantaneously at that very moment. Paul calls it the trumpet of God at First Thessalonians 4, and Jesus calls it a great trumpet at Matthew 24, 31. Now, I suggest that this image is probably just a symbol rather than the idea that there's going to be an actual sounding of a trumpet. Oh, by the way, this has nothing to do with the seven trumpets of Revelation 8, 6 through 9, 21, nor specifically with the seven trumpet of verses 10, 7, and 11, 15 through 19. There is no gathering or resurrection at that seventh trumpet in Revelation. The seventh trumpet is a symbol used to signal the events that occur at least five months after the second coming of Christ, which will occur at the sixth seal, because the sixth trumpet by itself will last for five months. The normal and natural understanding of the text is that the trumpets come after 
and a result of the breaking of the seventh seal, which obviously follows the sixth seal. Uh, in addition, we must remember that what John is seeing is simply a teaching aid so that he and we can understand these end time events in an orderly manner. The seven trumpets are only symbols within the vision. They are not literal trumpets that will be blown when the time comes for the historical fulfillment of uh, those judgments. So the seventh trumpet of Revelation 11 is not the last trumpet spoken of by Paul. They shouldn't be equated, but are separate and distinct. Uh, Paul wouldn't have any knowledge of John's vision and the seven trumpets. Now, even though the Holy Spirit melds all of Scripture, it's not advisable to interpret Paul's use in any other way than the cultural context of the day, which speaks of the call to assembly. That's what's going to occur at the rapture. It is called the trumpet of God because it is at that time that he will call for the gathering of his people to meet him in the clouds of the sky. Nor does it require an actual call or even one or two trumpet blasts before it. In Paul's mind, he's simply focusing on the, the, the final blast, which is the call to assembly. There does not need to be any literal trumpet blast or literal call to assembly. It's just going to happen. Christ is going to come back. The angels are going to be with him. And then they're going to gather all his elect ones and, and, and escort them back to heaven. Now, the seventh trumpet, on the other hand, is an announcement of judgment and not a call to assembly. Furthermore, the seventh trumpet clearly occurs at the end of the 70th week and will initiate the start of the official reign of the Messiah. And details about that need to be discussed in another episode. But anyway, that trumpet could not possibly correspond with the trumpet that will sound at the sixth seal, as per Matthew 24, 31 and 1 Thessalonians 4. Well, what about the Feast of Trumpets and the theory that he will arrive on the traditional date that the Feast of Trumpets would normally occur? The trumpet call to assembly at the rapture has nothing to do with this feast, nor does the seventh trumpet of Revelation have anything to do with this feast. There's no Old Testament precedent for associating the trumpet blast with either the Feast of Trumpets or the second coming of the Messiah. In the Old Testament, there are no references that associate a trumpet blast in connection with the prophesied arrival of the Messiah. Uh, many, many uses of the trumpet can be cited. A couple dozen passages perhaps here. Call to gather in the cities for protection from an invading army. Trumpet that announces an invasion. The trumpet sound in the prophets warning to repent and turn to God. Trumpet blast of war, assembly for war, assemble for battle. More warnings of invasion. Trumpet of gathering for festivity. Even Zechariah 9.14 is not looking at the second coming or, or any arrival of the Messiah. It's just talking about a, a military support for the Maccabean revolt back in about 164 BC. 
So again, there's nothing found in the Old Testament that associates a trumpet blast with the coming of the Messiah, and that includes the trumpets that blow at the various feasts. Uh, the eighth factor. So there's one other thing that those of the pre-trib view claim as a difference between the rapture and their second coming event, which they place at Revelation 19, 11 through 16. They claim that at the rapture, Jesus comes for his saints, and at the second coming, he comes with his saints. However, this is not a valid distinction. At the rapture, Jesus certainly comes for his saints, but he also comes with his saints. In fact, since the rapture will occur 2,000 plus years after the start of the church, it seems more likely that there will be a multitude more who come with him than there are than there, there will be for those whom he comes. First Thessalonians 4, 14 through 17, he comes with saints. Verse 14, God will bring with him those who have died through Jesus. Verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first, which of course means that their souls will first come with him in order to be joined with their resurrection bodies. He also comes for his saints. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds for a meeting with the Lord in the air. So this claim of a difference between the rapture and, and their second coming event is not valid. But their claim of a difference is based on Revelation 19, 11 through 15. They claim that the armies that follow Jesus uh, at that time refer to the saints who were raptured seven years before. The problem is that there is no scriptural statement that identifies that army as the church. It's just an assumption, an assumption that is easily refuted. It's just as possible and much more likely that the army is comprised of the angels of God, who are also seen to be clothed with white garments in other passages. I suggest that it's very unlikely for the groom, Jesus, to take his bride into a warfare battle. Instead, the church will be waiting in heaven in the New Jerusalem until the start of the earthly kingdom. It's at that time that the bride will descend to the earth, housed in the New Jerusalem. It's indicated Revelation 21. Uh, many believe that the armies contain both saints and angels. The major objection of this is that, as I already suggested, the groom is not going to take his bride into battle. And again, there's no indication in Scripture that believers in Jesus will be involved with any kind of physical warfare with humanity. Uh, just some comments about Revelation 19. It's possible that this passage is simply a summary of the official second coming that will occur at the sixth seal and which is in view at every other second coming passage. If that is the case, then the armies that come with him would, would of course be the angels who are described as all his holy ones at 1 Thessalonians 3.13 and Matthew 25.31, all the angels with him. Many, many Old Testament passages give such a summary statement of the initial second coming of Jesus. 
Well, it's also possible that this is showing the physical descent of Jesus onto the earth several months after his official second coming. Now, if it portrays his physical descent to the earth, then according to the Old Testament, he's going to go first to Edom and then to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And then after that, he's going to go to Megiddo and uh, face the uh, armies that are described at Revelation 19.17. In this case, he will descend onto the earth to engage in a physical conflict with the unbelievers in those three locations. As I have previously suggested, I believe that Jesus remains in the vicinity of the earth at his initial arrival in the clouds of the sky. It is the angels who will actually gather Christ's elect ones and escort them into heaven. Jesus remains in the clouds or on a cloud, and from there he pours out the day of the Lord judgments on the earth through the trumpets. Accordingly, Christ's physical descent onto the earth is not from heaven it's from the sky and revelation 19 would be saw the sky opened and, and the church would not be with him on the earth that doesn't violate the fact of always be with the lord because that refers to our official place of residence in heaven with him it doesn't mean that billions of saints are going to be at his side 24 7 so those are things to uh, think about, consider. In conclusion, I, I affirm that there's only one second coming, that all the passages taken together indicate that the rapture event will occur at that one and only second coming of Jesus. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode.